Tate Chronicles now transmitting. Welcome to the Tate Chronicles on Healthcare Now Radio. And now, here's your host, Jim Tate. Good day, citizens of the free world, from border to border, coast to coast, and to all the ships at sea. I bring you a warm welcome. This is your correspondent, Jim Tate. And thank you for tuning in to the Tate Chronicles. Join me as we cut through the fog that exists at the leading edge of healthcare technology. I'm really pleased today. I have a guest of none other than Dr. Charles Bell. He is a physician consultant and subject matter expert at Seracor. Seracor provides IT and application support, technical, professional and managed services, strategic IT consulting and advisory services, as well as EHR consulting. Dr. Bell has 40 plus years of experience, which includes, and it's uh, a long list here, so bear with me, but it's important, uh, working in multiple roles as a pharmacist in ambulatory medicine, emergency medicine, adult care, critical care, and medical informatics. With all that being said, Dr. Bell, thanks for joining us today on the Take Chronicles. Thank you. My pleasure. I'm glad to be speaking with you today because you're background, which encompasses both direct healthcare delivery, as well as technology provides really a unique and valuable perspective. It's good to have somebody who's been on both sides of the algorithm. Um, The first thing I'd like to ask you about, get your opinion on, is really the evolution of medical informatics and technology in healthcare. I know in your career, you've certainly witnessed significant advancements in healthcare technology. If you could share some specific examples of how technology has transformed patient care, particularly in critical care units. So um, what I will start with is I'm going to go way back. um, Great. um, I will bring I will bring up the uh, device known as the Palm Pilot. Mm. Um, I know. Painful, huh? (laughs) Um, But that device was used more as a means of keeping track of patients. So it wasn't really transactional. What really the the biggest transition that I've seen, and uh, I'm I'm going to really point this back to 20 25 year uh, period, mm-hmm. is the technology in the especially in critical care units made it easier to track what was going on more specifically with patients, and that became um, paramount. For, for care, whether it was um, any type of telemetry or monitoring blood pressure or definitely patient monitoring, that information was available immediately. And where time is of the essence in taking care of patients in that in that venue, as the as it progressed, it's just gotten more important. Now the other aspects of it, blood pressure monitoring. And, and management from that standpoint, just about every uh, um, function of the body, you can really tie to some type of technology now. And that makes a big difference, whether it's oxygen level, blood pressure, uh, blood sugar, all things that are very extremely important in a critical care uh, unit. Because uh, what I like to point out is if your blood pressure has changes over the course of a, a week or a month, uh, if you're not ill, you're not going to have any significant issues. Mm. But if it changes over an hour, it could be deadly. So looking at electrolytes and looking at blood sugar and blood pressure, looking at all these 
all these parameters is extremely important and being able to stay on top of what's going on with the patients in the unit. And it's, and it's a shared information. Nursing obviously is very important, um, uh, very important in disseminating the information, gathering and dissemination, disseminating the information and having that discussion with, um, with not only physicians, but other ancillary staff so that the appropriate decisions can be made. And I'll, one other example I'll give you, uh, a lot of times dosing of medication is based on renal failure. So being able to have that information um, on, a, on a routine and uh, on a basis that you have it readily available, it makes a difference. And having a pharmacy team involved with that is, is very important. They gather that information and they share any changes that need to be made with the medical staff, especially with the physicians. Dr. Bell, one thing that I hear more and more about is the discussion that in terms of the healthcare landscape, we have been seeing a shift from physician-led decision-making to IT-led decision-making. Do you perceive that this change, if it does exist, is impacting the quality of patient care? It absolutely exists. It is the the main reason I got into medical informatics. And the reason I say that is because I realized that as physicians, we needed to have a voice at the table. And then with my background as a pharmacist and a physician, it was very, I felt it was very important to have a voice at the table so that things that aren't considered uh, intuitive, uh, let me rephrase that. Some things are considered to be an intuitive thing. If you have that IT background, it's very intuitive. You do this, this, and this, and you get what you need to see. Um, that not, is not necessarily the way a physician's brain works, where it, they get in a loop where they can't find what they need, and it's frustrating, and it slows them down as far as providing the care that they need to their patients. So that is why it's paramount that every discipline has a seat at the table when you're working on fig- figuring out how the technology is going to interact and what information you're going to get and how it's going to be presented is paramount. What, one of the things, Dr. Bell, I hear more and more about uh, in regards to um, this is really whether it's clinical uh, decision support systems or clinical trials uh, is the issue of uh, equity. The data sets that are used uh, may not represent the full uh, demographic universe. Um, and so this could be especially true in um, AI, artificial intelligence, in, in healthcare. So uh, the, the data set uh, that these systems are being trained on, uh, while they may be incredibly precise, they may not they may almost institutionalize um, kind of a non-equitable environment. Do you have any thoughts about that? Have you seen anything? Yes. Of, yeah, I, I have definitive thoughts on that. And Good. there again, I'm going to have to go back to uh, digging into my background. Um, when I got out of pharmacy school, I started in research. So I did research with Merck and company. And when I progressed to getting my uh, degree in medicine, uh, and had my own practice, I did a lot of studies for um, 
for pharmaceutical companies. Mm -hmm. And it was primarily, primarily diabetes and hypertension. And one of the main reasons why I, my practice was sought out through that when I was practicing in Phoenix is because I had a higher percentage of um, Hispanic and especially African-American patients. And in those studies, a lot of times you don't get information from that demographic. And so the information that you have when you have a new product coming out or information on a product that's been out for a while misses demographic demographics mm -hmm. and and so so ai if it, it can be looking it can be very it can be hyper focused to the point where you're excluding um, you're excluding populations that don't benefit from the information that's being presented that's my concern about ai yeah just kind of one more uh, comment that I have about, you know, I know one of the big uses for AI now is the uh, uh, scanning or a review and interpretation of radiographic images. Um, and again, the data set of the images that those systems are trained on, uh, what's uh, normal for one population demographic group may not be the same for another. So, uh, you know, as always, the devil's in the details, but we just have to make sure that with the power of AI, that we're not institutionalizing uh, disequity, for for lack of a better term. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. It's a great and danger. I think, yeah, I think that you can minimize things on a radiograph. That's a good example um, that shows up as quote unquote nothing, whereas to the human eye, it's something. Mm. And part of that is because you can put together a clinical picture with that radiograph. And so um, you, you have more information to work with to make the determination. Um, and so that, that is one of my concerns. Now, I, I, I'm going to also say um, where I feel AI is um, immensely valuable is in really looking at diagnoses. Um, so I'm going to take you, take you to um, one of the main reasons why we even had the big push for EHRs in this country, Katrina. Uh, when Katrina hit, um, and so many records were wiped, wiped out. And you think about someone who has a very complicated uh, medical history, let's say a cancer patient who's on a really intricate regimen, those records were lost. So there had to be a way um to really capture that and have that available uh for providers well and of course uh uh the uh, th that is a, a great example uh you know so we're not uh based really on, on physical records uh, let me move on to something else i'm interested in and that's the gap between physicians and it and healthcare. uh what are some of the common either misconceptions um, or misunderstandings that physicians may have about IT and healthcare? Well, I think the biggest problem is that there's a mismatch in uh, understanding what, what, um, what one is asking for. Mm. Um, I, I, I think you may have seen the cartoon where they want a tree swing, and by the time it's all said and done, the one thing they do is cut down the tree. <laughs> um, you know, so it, it, 
there, there's a mismatch. And so that is why I felt it was so important to have physicians at the table so that there is a constant line of communication to translate what is needed and what is meant by different things. Now that works both ways. Um, sometimes it, it, it's interesting because you can have physicians who are pushing back against the system and then they get to the point where they want, they absolutely feel that it should be AI. Um, and so there, there has to be that balance and understanding of exactly what is being asked for. And the only way you know that is when everybody is communicating directly. To our audience, if you're just joining us, I'm Jim Tate. And on this episode of the Tate Chronicles, I'm speaking with Dr. Charles Bell, physician consultant to Saracor. Um, let's talk a little bit about uh, your thoughts on best practices for successful healthcare IT implementation. Um, I really, uh, uh, part of my, uh, in a prior life, was involved in uh, EHR implementations, and then I was a project manager. I would go in a paper-based system uh, and help them cross the bridge uh, to a electronic health record. Um, I never saw it smooth. It was always a nightmare for a lot of different reasons. Part of it was the technology, but part of it was just the change in culture uh, that providers were not used to. Suddenly, they were having to uh, almost be data input uh, uh, folks. And so uh, what are some of the uh, aspects, uh, really critical aspects of IT implementation best practices? So first and foremost, you have to have all stakeholders at the table and understand mm. what their role, input, and needs are. Um, and with your experience, I'm sure you've seen times where um, it was a miss where how do I think do things now and how am I going to do things when we go live? Mm. There's, there's, there's no correlation. And so you just assume that you're going to be able to do certain things after you go live and you don't have the availability. Uh, you don't have... Um, you just the system is not has not been designed to do things a certain way. And the other part of it, the system, there's things that you don't want the system to do that you've done on paper because there's been workarounds and and things that you've bypassed. And for lack of a better word, jerry rigged the system, your your processes so that you can get things done. And so it's very important that all major stakeholders are at the table that you look at how are things going to be processed? How, what are your processes in your every unit, every venue of care? And you want to know it. What's it during your your daytime hours? What's it during your night hours? What's it during your weekends? How does it work on holidays? Because it's all different. But you have to capture that. You can't you can't bake that into the system if you don't capture that to begin with. And then what happens once you go live? You're scrambling to do what you've done previously uh, on, in some areas that have been amiss. And so you're bypassing the system and you're creating some things where the system is not now not in sync and giving you the, all the advantages that is designed to give you if you had all those things in place. You know, I, I think a good example uh, that I saw frequently would be a, a paper-based uh, practice. Um, if they were going to refer a patient out, maybe to a, a, a specialist, there'd usually be a form that would be filled out for referral. Uh, and all of a sudden on go live day, that workflow doesn't exist anymore. 
Right. Uh, and so everybody is scrambling to figure out how do we do these referrals? Yeah, and that's that is a big one because I think every facility, hundred plus facilities I've been involved in in, in mm. go lives, referrals have been one of the biggest things. Consults and referrals; mm. those are processes that you have to work through and um, be able to be able to align in a way that whoever's going to be responsible for putting in the consult and who's going to be the consultant in that case has ease of access, direct ease of access from the system. And then the referral base is another another part of it and making sure those patients are on your on your rounds list so you you know who the patients are, where they are. Those are parts that I that get overlooked. They get talked about, but not in a way that it's like it's just shrugged off like it's going to be a no-brainer and um it turns out to be a no-brainer that it's going to be an issue and in in my experience dr bell that shift for a whether it's a small practice or large practice going from uh paper-based systems to electronic systems uh, you know they're definitely best practices but uh, uh also sometimes to do proper implementation and go live uh, you know, there, there's a cost equation in there. Yes. Uh, and yes. people don't realize uh, that being um, pound foolish and, and penny wise or, or, or the other way <clears throat> can really be so disruptive to a practice. Yeah. And that's, and th- I think a lot of that can be alleviated in the training process, mm. in that when you're training providers and users, physicians on the system that you do what I always refer to as a day in life. How are you doing it now? How are you going to have to do it when we flip the switch? And so you have an idea of how you're going to find your patient, where you're going to find the labs. Um, Just keep in mind a patient that you just saw this morning. So as you build the system, I think exposure, as much exposure to the system uh, for end users is going to be a, a very important piece of it. And um, so ultimately, the training really needs to be based on the build, which is informed by the information that you're getting from all of the disciplines and that transition that has to be made. Now, during the process of finding out what information you need to go from where you are now to go live, there's always things that can be changed, processes that can be changed that you don't have to wait until you go live. There's processes that you can put in place that really um, prepare you for when you're going to go live. And it improves, pro- improves processes that you already have in place. So um, all of those things, it just it comes with a lot of due diligence and involvement. There has to be direct involvement from all disciplines for, for this to be successful. You know, I, I I really hear what you're saying. There really needs to be um, ownership from all sides and everybody leaning into the project. If you have some naysayers uh, for, for whatever reason, that's going to hurt things. Something else, I, I've uh, read your comments uh, about preparing for, for these types of um, uh, transitions is the importance of documentation. 
Yes. Um, and in particular, uh, when I used to do EHR implementations, we'd create a document so that in the chaos of transition, uh, if I couldn't remember the new way of, of how to do a referral, uh, I could just go to that page, uh, you know, in a three ring binder that would tell me how to do it. So I didn't have to have all that new knowledge in my brain all the time. I had somewhere to look. Ha, ha, you have to have that documentation. Yeah, absolutely. That That is, that's another part. I, I mean, I keep saying how so many parts are important, but sure. yes, it's all important. And the documentation, especially. And let me let me give you an example. Great. I've been involved in uh, um, uh, implementations, and I'll I'll use um, HCA as an example. When we first started, our first round of hospitals it was 22 facilities. So there were, you know, decisions that were made. We did have that decision do decision document, and there's turnover. So mm. six months mm. into it, there may be other physicians. A year later, there may be some someone else involved. And because of that, you need to ha capture the decisions that were made so you don't go back and undo something that was decided three months, six months prior. Critical, that documentation. But, Dr. Bell, we only have a, a few more minutes, but, uh, but before we go, I want to get your thoughts of really the, uh, from a practical standpoint, how a healthcare organization can establish a culture of collaboration and understanding between IT teams and the clinicians. That, that's critical. If, if they're pushing against each other, that's going to hurt the project. So what are some of the best practices or strategy for really fostering collaboration? Yeah, and it, it, I, it, it would be, it would be per the perfect way to do it is if physicians would understand more on the IT side um which is not likely because of their the demands on their time sure but i think that it really helps if it folk have a better idea on the physician's day what is what does that day look like and the decisions that are made and just the flow so it may require just going on rounds one mm -hmm. day and seeing what that flow looks like and having a better idea um, when they have gotten a call from a doctor who's been who's irate and he's doing rounds and he's seeing 12, 15, 20 patients that day. And that very first one, he needed to see x-ray results and he didn't see those radio, uh, radiologic results. And the next one, he needs some lab results. So the bottom line is you get a better feel for the frustration. And so there's there's a little bit more compassion as far as what's going on and boils down to if you can walk a mile in my shoes, you have a better idea of what I'm dealing with. And, and a lot of times uh, it, it really needs to be understood that often it truly is life or death. It, it, it could come down to that. And so the physician being the captain of the ship has to be mindful of that and is mindful of that. And that's how he carries himself through that day. Well, and I, I think, you know, part of that, as you really uh, explained so well, Dr. Bell, is that uh, technology's job, healthcare comes first, healthcare delivery comes first. Technology's job is to support and uh, uh, make make that healthcare delivery, uh, um, you know, as frictionless as possible. 
Yes. So, I mean, the the healthcare delivery comes first, obviously. Yes. Um, and so, uh, almost out of time here. Uh, any final thoughts from uh, your side, Doctor Bell? <laughs> Only thoughts. Um, there's so much more, uh, you know, that I would like to discuss. Yes. Um, but I, I, I'm just going to personally say I, I appreciate the opportunity to to have this conversation. This has been a 20 plus year journey for me to stay on this and be an advocate um, for all users, but most importantly, to be a patient advocate. So um, that's that's the part about this that I feel is very important that we have these discussions. Well, I think uh, um, folks like yourself who come from that healthcare delivery background and understand uh, patient care workflows related to that, but then understand the potential of IT, that's really a unique perspective. And uh, thanks for bringing that to our audience today. I I thank you very much. Um, You can find out more about Seracore at seracore.net. That's C-E-R-E-C-O-R-E.net. To our audience, thanks for joining me today on this episode of the Take Chronicles. I offer a special salute to my guest today, Dr. Charles Bell of Seracor. Dr. Bell, thanks for coming aboard today. Thank you for your invitation. I appreciate you. You can find more information on this show's program page at healthcarenowradio.com. That's healthcarenowradio.com. Until we meet again, here's wishing you smooth sailing and safe harbors. Tape Chronicles transmission ending now.